Right. Mm. Okay. Uh, say something now. Hello. Hello. Is you hear me? Yes. Uh, are you booking Hink Crawl's B&B in Spain? Absolutely not. I would rather kill myself <laughs> in uh, multiple ways. <laughs> It's Friday, February 4th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and Henk Sitter. And with me today is, uh, as ever, Gordon Derrick, Contributing Editor at Dutch News and Downing Street 10 Activist. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's start with you, uh, Gordon. You, uh, you, do, you, you dislike Boris Johnson? You said or, the dread what's fr- happening here? You said the dread phrase. No, this is nothing to do... Well, <laughs> aside from my personal views on Boris Johnson, uh, which uh, uh, which we won't go into because it will bore everyone to tears. Um, no, this is just a slight thing that's just nagged at me in the last couple of weeks when there's been obviously a lot of coverage in the Dutch media of what's been, of all the kind of fun and games, and it really was fun and games going on in um, uh, it, it, at the heart of the British government during the lockdown yeah. when everyone else was banned from going to funerals or visiting their elderly parents. <laughs> Meanwhile, they were living it up and having bring your own booze parties uh, in... in um, yeah, yeah, at a Boris Johnson's house, and some people seem to be angry about this for some inex- inexplicable reason. Anyway, but, exactly. but in, in the context of all this, there's been lots of uh, uh, stories about this on Newsio and, uh, and NOS and various Dutch media outlets, and for some reason I've picked up the fact that uh, Dutch uh, reporters refer to uh, yeah, um, Boris Johnson's official re- residence as Downing Street 10, which yeah. I can't get my head around. I mean, <laughs> it, it's ten Downing Street. It must... in, it's ten Downing Street in English, and if you want to translate yeah. it, I could understand Downing Street Teen. I'd be on board with that. Yeah. But Downing Street Ten is just this weird bastardization that yeah. just grates terribly every time I hear it. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine how uh, uh, unnatural it must sound <laughs> to 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 hear that, yeah. to a phrase like that. Uh, of course, in 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 Dutch. Uh, yeah, it's customary in Dutch. If you have an address, the the the, the number comes after the street. Yeah. So Downing Street Ten would be logical. Mm. But yeah, Downing Street Ten just just sounds yeah unnatural. Yeah. I think yeah. Uh, and I was thinking when I saw your tweet that uh, uh, I, I I I like to think of myself that I do it um, correctly every time. Mm. But I I'm afraid that I also sometimes <laughs> um, you sort of lapse. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that uh, that I that I make this mistake uh, myself. Um, but I'm 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 uh, very much aware of, of, <laughs> of this now, so I'm I'm doing my best to to correct myself. Okay. Um, uh, I'm not waiting for the official inquiry into this. I'm just no, taking action exactly. right now. No, I don't, I don't think you need to prejudice <laughs> any inquiries here. You can simply, but, but it's, it's very good to hear that you're taking a proactive stance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, even though you have filed an official complaint at the police, but I'm not waiting for that investigation as well. well the police have said they're not investigating because it's overtime. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. yeah, but but yeah, but so perhaps we can start a campaign. The campaign starts here for, yeah, for, for proper nomenclature of um uh, of, of British buildings. Well, you should uh, you should uh, put that on the side of a bus or something. I think I should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, um, and uh, yes, uh, you've got more exciting news about uh, our favourite <laughs> former politician, um, which is, we're calling it Hanksit or Croxit. I quite like Croxit, but anyway. Yeah, I, I like Croxit <laughs> as well, I think, yeah. Uh, yeah, our favourite politician, Hank Kohl, failed politician, Hank Kohl, yes. I'm, I, 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 uh, I'm pleased to add. Yes. Um, he uh, has made a new life decision uh, uh, after he left politics after the last general elections where he only won 5,000 seats, which wasn't nearly enough for uh, 5,000 votes, say. not seats, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where he won 5,000 votes, yeah. which wasn't nearly enough for one seat. He left politics. Uh, he started a bed and breakfast in Eindhoven. Naturally, that failed. Mm. Also, because, you know, that's what Hank Kohl does, he fails. Um, but now he has decided to uh, start a new bed and breakfast, but this time in the south of Spain, ah. uh, in Andalusia, I believe. So um, he is leaving finally. Mm. So, um, yeah, I am, I'm very happy about this yeah. news. <laughs> I would have preferred to see him even further away from the Netherlands, uh, but he really enjoys the climate there. Yeah. He, uh, uh, he likes the fact that he can burn in January for some reason. He said that in 
in his uh, Omroep Brabant interview. Uh, I don't know how, why he likes that, mm. but that's okay. Yeah. Uh, there are more things I don't understand about Hank Hall. The, 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 I think so, his whole uh, career is quite inexplicable, really. Um, exactly, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, he he, uh, uh, he frauded with, with pensions <laughs> when he was uh, uh, the editor-in-chief of the Gay Krant. Mm. Um, and then he became the leader of a um, one-issue uh, a pension party. I mean, who, who can... If you write about, if you have written about this in a book, then they would say, no, this is uh, uh, there's 85 percent certainty this this cannot be true. So uh, we we will not publish this. Yeah, so, it's uh, too far yeah, fetched. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. So, so yeah, so Hank is going off to well, well, you would normally say going off to enjoy his well his well deserved pension, but it's actually other people's well deserved pensions that he's enjoying <laughs> yeah, in Spain. Exactly. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, I guess you know, so going to south of Spain is kind of a, he, he's going to be a loser in Andalusia. So it's, it's <laughs> nice as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he uh, he put his house on sale. I just uh, uh, saw for uh, almost a million euros in Eindhoven, yeah. and it has an indoor pub. Yeah. So yeah, if you if you want to have your very own bar. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So maybe maybe it's something uh, something nice for Boris Johnson. Yeah. He can have a party in his house. I mean, who wouldn't want that? Yes, a non-socially distanced party in his house. Perhaps that'd be <clears throat> that's his next destination. Yeah. Well, I wonder exactly. What, what beers do you think would be on tap in uh, Hank's pub in his own house? What would they be called? Um, like a pension yeah. ale or. <laughs> uh, I don't know enough any. I don't. I don't know enough beers to to add any more puns. So yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you have to excuse me, unfortunately. Right. <clears throat> Fair enough. Uh, okay. So yes. Yeah, so, so, so we toyed with having Hink as the op pair for the week, but actually that all pale in significance with um, some absolute uh, cracking op pair this week. Was sort of op pair about uh, a hef and a man called Jeff. So. Yeah, to, exactly. tell us all about it for those for the for the three people who don't know already. <laughs> yeah, the opener of the week comes from uh, Rotterdam, where a historic bridge will be dismantled to make way for a yacht owned by Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos. The 450 million euro super yacht is currently under construction at shipbuilder Oceanco in Alblasserdam. That's a few kilometers upstream from Rotterdam. And with a length of uh, 137 meters, the ship will be the largest privately owned yacht in the world and uh, will have three enormous masts. And this is the problem because these masts do not fit under the bridges in Rotterdam. Um, for that reason, the shipbuilder requested the municipality of Rotterdam to dismantle the center part of a historic railway lift bridge or in Dutch an Hefbrug to allow the yacht to pass through. Local media outlet RTV Rijnmond reported on Wednesday that this permission was granted, even though there are some doubts about that caused by uh, uh, Mayor Abutala, yes. who is currently in uh, Colombia, who denies this permission was granted. But um, uh, we don't have any further details about that. Um, the railway bridge is locally known as the Hef, uh, was constructed in 1927 and it was heavily damaged during the bombardment of Rotterdam by the Luftwaffe in May 1940, which destroyed the complete city center of the city. Uh, the bridge was quite literally the first thing that was repaired because of its vital importance and thus became a symbol of the rebuilding of the city. Uh, in the 90s, a tunnel under the river replaced the bridge, which was turned into a monument. The middle section was hoisted up permanently to allow ships to pass through, but this isn't apparently enough for the Bezos superyacht. Hmm. Immediately after RTV Rijnmond broke the news that the bridge will be taken apart, Ophef broke loose. Many people wondered why a billionaire that exploits his personnel should be granted these kinds of privileges and have a monument dismantled. Um, but surprisingly, other people didn't see the problem and pointed at the economic importance of Oceanco for the region. And they said the bridge will be taken apart only temporarily and that the shipyard, and thus by extension Bezos himself, will pay for the entire operation. The Municipality Council has scheduled an emergency meeting to discuss the issue, uh, which made headlines across the world. Uh, you probably have seen it in, in the New York Times, in the BBC, The Guardian, and uh, yeah, basically yes. every other media outlet in the world. Yeah, basically it did. It went global and it went viral. Yeah, and lots and lots of uh, responses, uh, uh, certainly that we had uh, on Dutch News on Twitter um, from uh, yeah, people who were just uh, yeah outraged that uh, Jeff Bezos's millions uh, were wrecking this piece of heritage, which managed to survive Hermann Göring's attentions, but uh, has now succumbed <laughs> to, the, to the obscene wealth of Jeff Bezos. Uh, I think that kind of 
kind of puts it in context. Yeah, the, my favourite one, I think, was somebody who said, um, I think he called himself Marky Mark, said, uh, why can't we just dismantle Jeff Bezos and put, and put Rotterdam <laughs> through him instead? <laughs> oh, wow, yeah, that's that's an idea. Um, and interestingly enough, I just read on the Wikipedia page that in the 1970s, the bridge was also rammed by a German ship. We will hear more about German ships later in the podcast. <laughs> yes, yeah. um, the, the middle section was completely broke off and it, uh, it also meant that uh, the entire train uh, traffic was uh, disrupted for an entire week uh, uh, after that incident. Um, and also, uh, also a fun fact, uh, the entire train schedule of the NS was based on the opening and closing of this bridge because there were so, uh, uh, the, the train traffic was so heavy over the bridge and the, the, the boat traffic underneath the bridge was also so hev- heavy that they had to, the opening of the bridge was scheduled every 15 minutes or something mm. and they really had to take that as the zero point, as the starting point of the entire train schedule right. of the Netherlands. So that's also a fun fact, I think. Yeah, you can imagine the polar discussions that went on like that. How how many of those tiny coffee biscuits were consumed in the course of negotiating that timetable? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, enormous Ophef and um, uh, the interesting thing is that mostly people from outside Rotterdam had a problem with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I noticed that a lot of people who you know are actually from Rotterdam didn't see any any problems with it especially because you know it's temporarily and it's it's paid by someone else so yeah what's the problem here um but still it's um um it's the sign of the times that uh 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 we do this for billionaires right yeah, I mean, for ordinary people we would never do this yeah people in and also I, can just just do as they please basically yeah yeah yeah. yeah, even though uh, the mayor Abu Talib, as I just said, just uh, uh, denied that any decision was made, and yeah. uh, or, or even a, a permit was uh, requested, so yeah, maybe uh, this is not going to happen anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. And obviously, you know, I, mean, I think still this enormous yacht. This bridge is forty meters, or the the bridge lifts to a height of forty meters. It's got forty meters clearance when it's raised, right? So the masts of this yacht are even bigger than that. Which tells you how kind of yeah. seemingly large the thing is, but probably, I mean, I mean, that, that, I, mean I don't know whether that's uh, um, the most obscene uh, form of transport uh, that Bezos has commissioned, or whether it's. Uh, I tend to think his tax vehicle is even more appalling. But uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, it's um, a, a fun opf, and I'm sure yeah. it will be uh, run, on run, the list, yes. on the short list of the opf of the year 2022. I think. Yeah. Yeah, we're sure to hear more about it now that um, yeah, now the count turns out the council still actually have to make a decision. This week, nightclubs have announced to open its doors next weekend out of protest against the corona rules. While both infection and hospital numbers are rising, Prime Minister Mark Rutte and Foreign Affairs Minister Wopke Hoekstra traveled to Ukraine and were ambushed by Boris Johnson. A German ship was ambushed by Cory. Team NL is preparing for the Winter Olympics in Beijing, and there's news about the Blackbird. Mm. Did the Blackbird sing at uh, Boris Johnson's uh, lockdown party? Uh, I think it was the DJ, actually. Right, okay. <laughs> Barely a week goes by now without a business sector announcing a protest against the coronavirus rules, and this week it's the turn of the nightclubs. On Thursday, they said they were planning to open en masse from February the 12th, that's next Saturday, in defiance of the prescribed closing time of 10pm. Nightclubs have been shut more or less continually for nearly two years since the pandemic began, except for last July when they were shut in the wake of the Dunson Met Janssen fiasco. A spokesman for Amsterdam's mayor, Famke Halsemaer, said she understood the frustrations of the sector, but the city would respond in the context of the current restrictions because we're still in a pandemic. Are we? Who knew? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, yeah, so we are still in a pandemic, yeah, question quite, mark. Yeah, I mean, quite clearly. I mean, there's currently around 80,000 people <laughs> testing positive a day. Um, and I mean, on the one hand, you can see that uh, with this Omicron variant that uh, the far fewer people are getting seriously ill. But, I mean, the hospitals are starting to fill up again. I mean, on Thursday, there were nearly 1,400 people in hospital, and that's 22% more than last week. And we're also seeing the intensive care numbers start to creep up as well. Um, but they are still down around 200. But again, if they, st- if they rise for a couple of weeks, again, we, you know, we're not out of the woods, basically. Um, the RIVM released some interesting figures this week in the context of the discussion about whether people are in hospital with coronavirus or for coronavirus, or whether they just come into hospital for treatment to a broken leg and then test positive while they're in there. 
Um, but the numbers show that three quarters of coronavirus patients are actually sick with COVID or COVID combined with something else. And the older you are, the more likely it is to be the reason that you're in hospital. And of course, every patient who tests positive still has to go into isolation. So that adds to the burden on the healthcare system. Yeah. And uh, speaking of the burden of the healthcare system, uh, there's also news about cancer patients this week, right? Uh, yes. Uh, yes. Because there are figures showing the number of cancer diagnoses went up last year by around 11,000, which is a very sharp rise, much more than normal years when it goes up by typically by about 2,000. Um, and the figure is 4,000 higher than 2019. So it sort of evens out. So we had a big, quite a big dip in 2020 because people didn't go to the doctor or didn't, or sometimes the screening programs were suspended uh, because of the pandemic. Um, and then we kind of caught up last year. But the um, Cancer Research Institute, uh, ECANL, said the effect hadn't been as bad as they feared. Uh, there was no indication more patients had been told that their cancer was at a more advanced stage. Uh, but it couldn't rule out the possibility that there would be more serious consequences for a small number of cancer patients. And there was more news, uh, more bad news for cancer patients because uh, uh, a nuclear reactor in Patton yeah. was closed down uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago, uh, because of a leakage. And uh, that is where a lot of the yeah medicines or the isotropes yeah. are uh, produced for a cancer treatment. So yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's not a good time to have cancer. Well, I guess. Not, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> There's never really a good time to have cancer. No, especially now. Yeah, sure. Yeah, but indeed, the the um, yeah, because when you go for your cancer screening, you go to a part of the hospital that's called the Department of Nuclear Medicine, which I always think is a bit of an alarming, <laughs> alarming name. But uh, yeah, but they, they, they use uh, isotopes and um, uh, yeah, radioactivity to to screen for cancer. And if they can't, they haven't got the isotopes to do that, then they can't do the screening. No. Yeah. Um, Going back to the nightclubs, uh, a large number of people are going to have problems getting in. Uh, yes, because uh, half a million people's QR codes are going to expire on Tuesday, according to Health Minister Ernst Kaupers, because the time limit for people who haven't had a booster jab is uh, taking effect from then. And that means if you've had two vaccine doses or a single shot of Janssen more than nine months ago, your vaccination certificate will no longer be valid in the Corona Check app, and you'll either have to get a booster or take a test for entry. And, of course, uh, bear in mind that test for entry is a bit complicated at the moment because the test for entry points are all being used as kind of overflow for the KKD because they're getting too many, yeah. they're, they're, they're getting more requests for PCR tests than they can cope with. So, yeah, good luck if you need to book a slot for that. Uh, booster jabs at the moment don't have an expiry date. So once you've had your booster, you are protected. Uh, well, not protected. You, uh, you are covered for QR codes indefinitely until they decide to bring in an expiry date, which <laughs> yeah, they will. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yes, yeah, so, so that's one big mess. Uh, Kaupas said he hoped it would encourage more people to get booster vaccines. Uh, remember how successful they were in getting in using the original test for entry to get people vac- to get their two vaccines? Yeah. It wasn't at all, right? <laughs> <laughs> at all? Yeah, so, so okay. using the same failed logic again to say, yeah, m- maybe we can use this uh, the sort of carrot of uh, allowing people to go into restaurants and nightclubs and theatres uh, to, to, yeah, to, to persuade people to get their vaccines rather than just say it's a good idea for your, for your personal health. Yeah, we're currently up to about 60% uh, uh, of adults have had a booster vaccine now. Um, that's was kind of looking like it was grinding to a halt over the next couple of weeks although it does seem that apparently the vaccine locations are getting busy again so uh so perhaps busier not busy but busier busier, busier. yeah so it's having <laughs> yeah. some effect but i think it's not you know it, it, it's, it's not um uh you know, persuading as many people as, as they really need uh, to no. to make a significant difference but at least uh, uh a lot of people had three days longer uh, with a green uh, yeah, uh, they, they get this weekend. Passed, didn't they? Yeah, the, the, the yeah, originally it was going to expire on Friday, um, but it was extended at the last minute because uh, MPs were asking questions during the Corona debate. So. Well, yeah, which had to be answered, and that delayed the yeah. publication of the of the of the new law uh, in the yeah it, it, it's a legislative <laughs> procedure. But you know they couldn't didn't have enough time to publish it in the official government's newspaper on Friday. Yeah. Therefore, they could only do it on Monday, and that meant that uh, we have two days longer with uh, with uh, with uh, with our Corona access pass. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's it seems if you if you read about this, yeah, the the Staatskurant was delayed. It 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 it's sounds very <laughs> very stupid but yeah that's just how the legislative procedure works it just sounds uh, a very apparently. 19th century doesn't it they have an official newspaper yeah. that nobody reads but nevertheless <laughs> exactly. that, that is the official record uh, and yeah, you can't yeah. bring a law in until it's been published there yeah exactly yeah, yeah. 
yeah, Very and of fun. course, the other thing about these um, uh, expiry dates is it was something that was negotiated within the EU countries to bring kind of harmonise all the standards across Europe. But of course, they haven't been harmonised at all because different countries have got different rules on you know, when you need a, a vac- vaccine and uh, how the QR passes work. So, for example, I mean, if you've had the Janssen vaccine, of course, lots of people had the Janssen vaccine in July, including you, I think, Paul. Um, because yeah. you wanted to, 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 to uh, yeah, yeah, you wanted to get your, 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 you wanted to get your vaccinations quickly in time for the summer holidays. And now the Germans are saying that um, they don't recognise a single shot Janssen vaccine as a complete series of vaccines. Yeah. So you need a second dose and a booster before you can get your two G plus pass, which um, which you need to get into even into shops in some parts of Germany. So it's a big problem. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I need I so uh, I need another. I had my booster shot and I had Janssen, but that's not enough for the Germans. No, apparently you need two boosters uh, to get a two G and two boosters plus. Sorry, two two vaccines to get a two G and two vaccines plus a booster. I think to get two G plus. Um, okay, but where do I have to get my second well, that's vaccine? The thing, well, that's the then. thing. That, I mean, Ernst Kaupers has said that at the moment you can't get a second shot if you've had Janssen. No. but they're trying to. That, that he's looking. They're trying. He's asked for an for, for advice from the Gesundheitsrat, from the Health Council, um, on what they can do for the people who've had Janssen um, to give them a second dose. So, it's a case of watch this yeah. space. Here. Yeah, wait until the Gesundheitsrat come out with their advice, which they're famously um, <laughs> very fast at doing. <laughs> exactly. Well, I uh, just gonna have to wait until I uh, plan my visits to Germany yeah, so, again. So I think. for now, unfortunately, I'm afraid you can't go into those uh, clothes shops in Germany, which I know you were itching to do. <laughs> Politics news now: uh, Prime Minister Mark Rutte and Foreign Affairs Minister Wopke Hoekstra traveled to Kiev this week to meet with the Prime Minister and President of Ukraine. Uh, the cabinet insisted the meeting was scheduled a long time ago, but was postponed several times because of corona and the formation, but coincided extremely conveniently this week with the mounting crisis between Ukraine and Russia, which naturally was the main topic of the agenda. The meeting between Rutte, Hoekstra and President Zelensky was originally planned for Tuesday, but was ambushed by Boris Johnson, who decided last minute to come and crash the party. Did he, um, um, did he ambush him with cake? <laughs> that's uh, that still has to be established by the official <laughs> right, inquiry. Okay. Um, yeah, the 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 meeting between uh, Rutte, Hoekstra, and Zelensky was uh, postponed until the next day on Wednesday. And after the meeting, Rutte uh, said everything needs to be done to de-escalate the situation at the Russo-Ukrainian border, and a Russian invasion will not go unpunished. He said NATO should be prepared for military actions, and the EU is ready with a package of economic sanctions against Russia, but hopes these preparations will not prove necessary. Um, two Dutch F-35 fighter jets will be made available to the NATO uh, to the NATO's quick reaction force based in Bulgaria. And additionally, Rutte announced uh, the Netherlands has agreed to send a team of cyber experts to Ukraine to counter cyber attacks by Russia. And requests from Ukraine to send defensive weapons will seriously be taken into consideration. This is a change of the firm. No, the cabinet said its answer would be until now. But Rutte emphasized that no promises regarding the delivery of weapons have been made yet. Uh, Rutte and Zelensky also discussed the downing of MH17 by pro-Russian separatists above eastern Ukraine in 2014, which caused the death of 297 Dutch people. Uh, the cooperation between the Netherlands and the Ukraine is good, but not always easy. For example, when Ukraine extradited an important suspect of the downing to Russia in 2019, and also the weak state of the rule of law in Ukraine is a cause of worry for the cabinet. Yeah, uh, are the Dutch sending the fighter jet that was uh, was ruined by the foam when they when they sprayed <laughs> it at the uh, you know the, the, the welcoming ceremony? Uh. Probably. I think we only have two or something. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it's always a bit. Yeah, I mean the Netherlands. We like to be on the on the world stage, right? Yeah. And it's nice for Rutte and Hoekstra to be there. But you know, we we do not have anything to offer. I mean, we have more prime ministers than we have than we have tanks <laughs> in the Dutch army, for example. Yeah. Literally, yeah. we lease them from from Germany. Um, so yeah, we do not have much to offer. Only these uh, cyber experts, which. Uh, the Netherlands is apparently quite good at, so that's uh, at least something we can be proud of. But, you know, um, I, I believe Boris Johnson uh, promised uh, to send, uh, I don't know how many anti-tank uh, uh, guns. Yeah. yeah, we don't have them. So, yeah, we can't offer that no. at all. Um, but, but, but at least... Uh, yeah, but maybe we can offer some stop waffles. 
and, uh, and, and, <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and then coffee and tiny biscuits from the negotiation uh, table. Maybe, maybe we can offer some some uh, maybe we can offer some slope waffles poised with yeah. plutonium or something yeah. and uh, hand them to every Russian we see. Yeah, yeah. I think it was very Salisbury. revealing. We, we, we saw you commented on the pictures, didn't you, of the of the meeting that. Uh, um, Rutenhutska had uh, with the Ukrainian authorities, which sort of looked like they were just sitting at trestle tables in a scout hut, didn't it? And there was one tiny Ukrainian flag in the corner. It was <laughs> it was the first meeting, so that was on Tuesday when they were supposed to meet with Zelensky. They they met with other uh, officials that were flown in yeah. to so, sort of compensate uh, for the uh, for the loss of face, I guess. <laughs> the next day they had the actual meeting in the presidential palace right. that looked. A bit more um, cool. official yeah. and a bit more, bit more impressive. But the first meeting looked like a a a a, a village community center <laughs> in Appelscha, uh, at best. Yeah. Um, it wasn't very impressive, but uh, they compensated it with uh, with the meeting in the presidential palace on Wednesday, at least. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah they, they, they were trying to take the uh, the Dutch delegation seriously. Yes. Yeah, and there's been some developments closer to home as well. Yeah, the Dutch government has decided not to press ahead with plans to introduce a 2G system for access to uh, cafes, events and other public places. Uh, Under a 2G system, only people who have been fully vaccinated or have very recently had coronavirus would qualify for a coronavirus access pass. Uh, Currently, people who have tested negative also qualify for the CTB, as it's called in Dutch. Mm -hmm. The official reason is that uh, research by Delft Technical University has shown that the introduction of a 2G system not have much of an impact on the current surge in coronavirus cases. The reduction in the infection rates under 2G may well be under 10%, according to the researchers. And Health Minister Ernst Kuipers told MPs on Wednesday that this small difference in effectiveness is so minor that there would be no need for the rapid introduction of 2G. Politically speaking, however, the uh, real reason, I guess, mm. is that the 2G system doesn't enjoy a majority support in the Tweede Kamer. Coalition partner ChristenUnie opposes the introduction of the system and instead proposes a 1G system that would mean everyone, including vaccinated people, need to show a negative test result to qualify for the Corona Access Pass. Kuipers announced further research into the 2G system. Mm. So, yeah, that's um, so. it's interesting to see. We have a new coalition and on such a... Uh, uh, important issue mm. as a 2G system. They they disagreed. Apparently, they hadn't uh, ironed out an agreement or anything. And yeah. now we have a coalition partner that, yeah, r- rebels against uh, the cabinet's uh, official plans. Yeah, so yeah, that's yeah, also yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah, and we also have a health minister who is actually uh, an expert in public public health with a track record and still isn't able to, um, yeah, muster together a, a compelling argument to introduce this 2G system. No, yeah, or, or um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think um, uh, the Kirsten Union was always very critical about yeah. this and also about the 3G system in general. So 2G system is, of course, a step further. Uh, so, yeah, that... that uh, apparently was uh, was uh, was that, that was the boundary for them but the 1g system um it isn't practical as well i think because you know it it demands a lot of uh, an increase in, in testing capacity mm. i guess because everyone whenever you want to go you need to 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 show that you tested negative but we do not have that capacity at the moment no. and yeah. uh, that they're, they're also not not a sign that uh, uh, this will uh, this will improve um in the near future, so yeah, it's. Um, I don't think it's a very constructive idea for of the or realistic idea. After well, say. it's not realistic because we've chosen over the first two years of pandemic not to go in for mass testing. I think I read a thing on. Uh, I think Mark van Runst. I think uh, 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 shared a tweet yesterday. Uh, Mark van Runst is the Belgian um, coronavirus kind of uh, what uh, virologist, pandemic expert, and he said that uh, the Willem Engels nemesis, Willem right? Willem Engels, indeed, the guy, the guy who uh, won the court case against Willem Engel and uh, d- d- donated to the uh, his winnings to what is a, 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 a developing country's vaccine program um so uh, and, and yeah and van Rans said uh, i think that uh, the average person in the netherlands has had just under two coronavirus tests during the pandemic uh, the average belgian has had about twice as many four but did mm. um did, did, can you guess how many how often people in denmark have been tested on average I saw that. Yeah. Uh, wasn't it like 10 times uh, more 20. often than, than the yeah, Dutch? 20 times. 20. 20, not 20 times as many, 20 tests. They'll never have had 20, oh, 20 tests. tests. So 10 times as many. Yeah, you're right. So you can uh, do yeah. it if you, if you get the infrastructure in place much earlier. 
as the Danes have done, but we chose not to do that. And also, because people still have to buy their own self-tests. You know, the, remember yeah. we got the letter through the through the, um, uh, th- the through the door, uh, uh, inviting you to go and uh, uh, collect two two self-tests um, per household, yeah. not even per person. That, yeah, that, per that was the Dutch commitment too. to self-testing. Oh, and um, the um, uh, emergency law was postponed again um, this week. Uh, There's an emergency law that sort of uh, is a legal basis for all the corona uh, restrictions uh, uh, that we do not need additional uh, legislation for every measure. Um, uh, And it has to be renewed every three months, I believe. And uh, uh, this is the fourth time that it is renewed. And some questions were raised about the... Uh, temporariness of this law because you know it's supposed to be a temporary measure yeah. Um, so um, yeah maybe we will see a lot of debate about that uh, uh, in the near future yeah yeah we will see Storm Corrie battered coastal parts of the Netherlands on Monday blowing over trees and trucks and causing an estimated 10 million euros worth of damage now, I always like the way that the ins- insurers association comes straight out with the figure like the next day for how much damage has been uh, being caused very, yeah. very efficient yeah they always do that right yeah, yeah. Uh, but the biggest damage was offshore where a German cargo ship drifted off its anchor and collided with an oil tanker uh, the Julieta Day also or the Julieta Day also strayed into a wind farm being built by Vattenfall between Zandvoort and The Hague all 18 crew were rescued by helicopter after the ship started taking in water the other vessel the Maltese registered Pecora Star wasn't seriously damaged the captain and first mate have now been arrested while police investigate whether they broke maritime law by abandoning ship too early. Under the laws of the sea, a captain should only desert his ship if it's absolutely necessary. The ship was towed into port. They, sh- they in should the- have listened to uh, to uh, Hugo Grotius, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well, he wrote the law yeah. of the sea. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, but, but yeah, well, while he was hiding in his bookcase. <laughs> the ship was towed into port in Rotterdam on Tuesday after the weather improved. Yeah, there was also some uh, serious uh, um, uh, uh, worrying that uh, it might strand on the on the beaches of, uh, I believe it was Schavensande. Yeah. And the storm was just so heavy, the waves were so uh, so wild that uh, the towing uh, ships, uh, yeah. some of them came over from Belgium, uh, weren't able to to. Uh, uh, they weren't able to like, to like to tie up to the boat. Yeah. The ship. Yeah. They had to wait until the storms. Yeah. Until the seas were calmer. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, they well they managed it. Uh, during the storm, because if they have waited until the storm uh, uh, laid down, then it would definitely have stranded. Yeah. Uh, but they were able to do it in time, and uh, so that cat- catastrophe was also avoided. Mm. And uh, do you also know uh, who Cory is? Cory is, uh, yes. She was, I think, the Canemy's first female meteorologist. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cory van uh, Dijk, I believe she's called. Yeah. Uh, Corrie van Dijk, indeed, yeah. yeah, she uh, she was employed in 1964 as the f- first female meteorolo- meteorologist of the Royal Dutch Meteorological Institute in uh, Rotterdam. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, she uh, she was very pleased that finally a storm was named after her. So yeah. apparently it's a thing on the meteorologist to, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, to have uh, uh, storms named after them. Right. So, uh, yeah. And the crew were not the only victims uh, of Storm Corrie. Uh, no, a roof blow off a house in Katveik, uh, cars were damaged by fallen trees, and thousands of starfish washed up on the beach in Scheveningen. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there was a big... Uh, I saw that. Yeah, uh, RTL, or I think Nupuntanel, had some uh, footage of this. Uh, apparently the bottom the bottom feeders were disturbed by the rough seas and swept up, along with all the oysters and mollusks that they were, they were happily munching on. Uh, and there's some nice footage uh, which you should go out and see of people who went out onto the beach with little plastic bags to kind of collect um, uh, starfish <laughs> and uh, mollusks and oysters and things from the from the beach and maybe maybe collect a free lunch. Very nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, did you go out and uh, watch I didn't, the? No, I wasn't seat? aware of this until to, and, 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 until it was too late. Until it was too late. Uh, yeah. 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 Unfortunately. Also, yeah. I live a bit further down the beach from Scheveningen as well, so I had to go out on my bike in the wind, which yeah. I didn't really fancy. Yeah. No, I have to admit that if this ship was stranded, uh, I would definitely have gone uh, a ramp tourist yes. uh, uh, <laughs> to see the ship because I remember it once happened in in um, yeah in in the Westerschelde there was a ship stranded uh, in Zeeland somewhere for, uh, coming from Antwerp or going to Antwerp and uh, yeah, we all went there to uh, to watch it. That's and, good. Uh, yeah. 
It's a very spectacular sight mm-hmm. because, you know, these ships are 300 meters long and to just see them laying on the beach, it's just an impressive sight. Yeah, 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 yeah. I wonder if uh, uh, Jeff Bezos is, is going <laughs> uh, to have it renovated and then driven underneath a bridge <laughs> in Rotterdam. We hope this podcast helps you to navigate the choppy waters of Dutch life and politics more successfully than a German cargo ship crew, but we couldn't do it without the generous support of our patrons. So it's time once again to take a minute to say thank you to everyone whose contributions keep us going. As ever, new patrons get a special shout-out from us and the chance to ask us a question. Please do hit us with your questions. We enjoy always enjoy answering them. Uh, we've got two new patrons to thank this week. Daniel Knapp, or Daniel Knapp, who describes himself as an Aussie far from home and the best beaches, Zanfort doesn't cut it. Uh, perhaps he might be more impressed by Schrafensander Beach if, uh, if there's a German, <laughs> there's a distressed German ship beached on it. Anyway, uh, he says, uh, enjoy listening to your knowledgeable and relaxed interactions on my bike ride to work, living the Dutch dream, or weekend jogs around the streets of Harlem. Uh, Daniel does also, did also actually ask a question, but um, we're going to delay that till next week, I think, because it's about a, uh, a phrase which I think is... Uh, Particularly Australian, and I didn't understand. And okay. Uh, so <laughs> I need to need to. We have to do some more research. Uh, yeah, do some more research. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but okay. We'll come, yeah, we'll come back on that. If Daniel wants to see some impressive beaches, he should go to Zeeland, I think. Okay. Just uh, take the train to Vlissingen or to Middelburg, uh, rent a bike. I mean, wait for time. There's no <laughs> yeah. storm, but uh, yeah. just uh, cycle through uh, Zeeland and uh, enjoy all the beaches there. I think. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think Australians sort of enjoy beaches in a different way from the Dutch, though, because they're kind of warmer and there's more surfing and barbecues and that kind of thing. Which you can't really do so much on Dutch beaches. No, that's Sometimes right. Sometimes you can. Yeah. 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 You can barbecue uh, starfishes if, uh, <laughs> if you time it well enough. Yeah, starfish yeah. and oysters. Yeah. I wonder what starfish croquette would taste like. Someone, someone's going to do it now. Move on, please. <laughs> we also welcome Matt Miller, who's from our second home, Minneapolis. So, ah, so while we have nice. a Minneapolis patron. Yeah, yeah, we have plenty of them. So, yeah, um, yeah it's, uh, I think everyone, <laughs> we basically have almost everyone in Minneapolis who is uh, uh, willing to donate money to us. Uh, we already have uh, attached to us, I think, but... Uh, yeah. yeah, so Matt says, I'm not Dutch, but really enjoy listening to the podcast every Friday to get a feel for life in the Netherlands, which is a country I really admire. Um, so hmm. uh, you obviously hold it in higher standing than the uh, the people who organize the uh, official meetings in Ukraine. But uh, yeah. you've got the good work, <laughs> says Matt. Yeah, yeah that's, it, it always surprises me a bit that someone who has no relation whatsoever to the Netherlands is interested in Dutch news. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's nice, but it's, uh, yeah, it baffles me a bit, I think. Yeah. If you'd like to join our band of patrons in Minneapolis or elsewhere, for as little as a euro or a dollar a month, log on to www.patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash dutchnewsnl. My experience with most random Americans is that they think that the Netherlands is Denmark Yeah, or well, something. that's the thing, yeah, they, they confuse the Dutch and the Danes constantly. You get that in the American yeah. media as well. Mark Rutte, Prime Minister of Denmark. Yeah. The Dutch publisher of a new book about the betrayal of Anne Frank has apologized to everyone who felt offended. Ambo Antos has also suspended the printing of the new book, saying that there are questions about the research behind it. The book, The Betrayal of Anne Frank, claims a Jewish notary was 85% certain to have handed the Franks' secret address to the Nazis. The investigation team is made up of historians, an ex-FBI agent and other experts, and spent six years using modern investigative techniques, including AI, to crack the case, which apparently they they, uh, weren't successful at. The book was uh, released two weeks ago and caused a media sensation across the world, but since then several critics have come forward to express their concerns about the 85% certain theory that Jewish notary and member of the Jewish Council Arnold van den Berg handed a list of addresses where Jews were hiding to the Nazis out of self-preservation. The list supposedly included the annex on the Prinzengracht in which the Frank family was hiding. Several historians have noted that there is no evidence that the Jewish Council had a record of hiding places, and the Anne Frank Fund, founded by Otto Frank, have said the book is full of mistakes. The investigators told NOS that they were perplexed by the publisher's decision, and they were unaware of how Ambo Antos felt about the book's reception. Yeah, I think I have never seen a media coverage turn so quickly, Mm. right? Because when the book came out... You saw all these headlines, uh, you know, finally we have found the the person who betrayed Anne Frank. Yeah. And a week later, 
the, the mood completely uh, changed and uh, they're basically accusing the writers of this book of, of lying and of um, doing a very bad investigative work. So. Yeah, it's backfired massively, hasn't it? And, uh, yeah, Indeed. And the, this cold case team took about six years, I think, to go through all the various theories and sift through them and come up with this conclusion. And, I mean, I, I, I think the mistake they made was to just be too kind of certain of their of their findings it was quite clear the evidence they had was you know it was pretty flimsy there's not much documentary evidence left and then they kind of filled in a few blanks I mean, I think what the value of it to me was that they went through about 30 different theories and discounted about 27 of them i think but then to claim on the basis of that that they, they had a definitive answer to who betrayed the frank family was just going too far and of course it's a very carefully orchestrated media campaign as well where journalists weren't allowed to reveal any details before the official launch date so they couldn't actually go to experts and get independent view uh, on on the evidence that was presented in the book so that all came later so first of all there's this big fanfare um, about you know, we've, we've solved the case of Anne Frank and then of course as soon as people who knew about the case started looking into the evidence they said uh, actually no you haven't and it's I, th- I think it's been yeah. Uh, yeah, a huge gigantic miscalculation yeah they basically dismissed all their hypothesis and uh, only one was left over and they said this must be it even though yeah they they apparently they can't imagine that something else can happen yeah could have happened so yeah it's a, it was a strange line of reasoning i think and also the what you say the the evidence was very thin because they claimed this list existed even though you know there are almost no proof about that there are two indirect mentions um uh, of this list uh, in letters by 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 two um, uh, independent people yeah. and they also base it on a note that was sent anonymously to Otto Frank, the father of Anne Frank, uh, in the 60s that claimed that uh, Van der Berg had uh, betrayed them. Um, And that was basically their evidence, these two things. And that's uh, not nearly enough to slander a name like that, I think. No, Um, it does seem curious, the idea that the Jewish Council, which was an organization that was set up by the occupying Nazi government, would keep like an official list of hiding places, (laughs) places where people trying to hide from the Nazis. I'm sure members of the council were aware of where some people were staying but why would you actually write it down and keep it in a place where the, 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 that you knew that the, the Germans had access to? Exactly, yeah. That, that seems very suspect to me. Yeah, so um, would you say this book has backfired uh, yeah. immensely and uh, I wonder how the sales uh, figures will look like? For a- <laughs> yeah, I have a horrible feeling that, uh, yeah, that this is going to end up uh, going very quickly to, uh, to pulp because they kind of overhyped yeah. the conclusion. Sports news. And the Dutch skating team will hope to be in razor-sharp form as the Winter Olympics get underway in Beijing, or if you watch NOS, Peking, where they probably expect Chairman Mao to be presiding over the opening ceremony. <laughs> Is that the old name of Beijing yeah, or something? Yeah, or? just for some reason mm. the NOS and some other Dutch media still persist in calling it Peking. Anyway. The no- Peking, we, we pronounce Peking, it a sorry, little Peking. bit more different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They probably call the, um, the, the President's Address Downing Street 10 as well. Peking. <laughs> Uh, anyway, the, the Netherlands are sending 40 athletes this year, of whom 28 are speed skaters or short track skaters. Outside of speed skating, there isn't really much traditional winter sports because you know we, we, we don't really have things like mountains, which you need to do uh, a lot of uh, a lot of winter Olympic sports. Well, Jamaica doesn't have any snow, True. right? And they are very well. Uh, they do very well in uh, what was it? Uh, bobsleighing, I believe, right? Yeah. yeah. So uh, where are the medals likely to come from? Well, um, uh, Nielsen Grace Note, who's a kind of a sports analysis bureau, reckon the Dutch are going to win uh, eight gold medals possibly, which is the same number they got in Pyeongchang four years ago. Thomas Krull, no relation to Henk. Uh, he's among the favourites uh, for the men's sprints. He, he's a uh, favourite to win gold at the 1,000 and 1,500 metres. Um, he's also going in the 500 metres. He'll be up against defending champion Kjeld Naus, uh, over 1,500 metres. Uh, in the women's events, Irene Schouten is a hot favourite for the 3,000 metres and the 5,000 metres. Uh, there's also a couple of um, veterans in the team. Irene Wust, the most decorated speed skater in history. Uh, she's competing in her fifth Olympics, over 1,000 and mm-hmm. 1,500 metres. And she's won a gold medal in each of the last four Olympics, including starting out in Turin when she was 19 years old. And uh, another veteran, Sven Kramer, uh, he's going for his fourth successive title over 5,000 metres, but he's kind of downplayed uh, his, ch- his own chances this week. He only scraped into the team after finishing third in the national championships. As long as he stays in the correct lane, everything sh- should be fine, I think. Yeah. 
Um, but it's not just a big oval where the Dutch skaters are expected to do well, right? No, because uh, they're pretty nifty at short track these days as well. Uh, so I think probably because short track skating just seems to involve pushing people out of the way a lot, which uh, yeah. yeah, I think that's why the Dutch are so good at it. <laughs> uh, Susanna Skilting won the Netherlands' first gold medal in the sport four years ago, over 1,000 metres. Uh, she's competing in all five disciplines this time around, and so too is 20-year-old Susanna Felsabor. She's got short track pedigree because her aunt, Monique Felsabor, won the 500 metres in Calgary in 1988 when it was just a demonstration sport. Hmm. Her career ended very sadly five years later when she crashed in training and suffered a spinal cord injury that left her unable to walk. Oh, wow. But Sandra says uh, she doesn't feel like uh, there's any extra weight on her shoulders because of her surname. Um, the clashes between her and Susanna Schulting should be um, yeah, very entertaining. Huh. Uh, speaking of career-threatening injuries, it's good to see Schink Knecht in the team. He was out of the sport for a year when he suffered 30% burns in an accident with a wood-burning stove in 2019. And uh, there's been a documentary about this in the last few weeks, yeah. which actually shows that his his injuries were worse than most people really realised. Apparently, he was I think he was lighting a stove, and then the a burning piece of wood fell on um, uh, an accelerant on, on some accelerant fluid or something uh, that was on the ground. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. And, it, yeah. and it obviously caused a massive uh, explosion, basically that uh, yeah that, that left him terribly burnt. So you know, nice to see that he's back on on track, and uh, he's also had a very bad run of bad luck in major championships with. Crack crashes and disqualifications so all he's had so far at the olympics is a silver and a bronze medal and he'll be looking to claim his first gold at the age of 32 well hopefully uh, he will be successful yeah. um I, I have to say that short track is much more exciting than 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 the long distances oh, because way, way if you exciting. have the 10 kilometer yeah. um distance then i mean it's just so boring yeah. it's uh, yeah, everyone watches it in the Netherlands, but I just can't imagine that people really enjoy it. Yeah, it's but, just mind-numbing. Yeah, yeah, the fact that there's only two skaters in in the in each race, yeah. so it takes ages. And obviously, when it's a ten-kilometer yeah. race, which lasts what about fifteen minutes, I think. Um, Something like that. Yeah, yeah and it's just, just, they go in pairs. Much and yeah, and it goes on. So that goes on for about two hours of just two people going yeah. around and running circles. Because halfway through, they have a break to clean the ice, which I think is the most <laughs> Dutch thing imaginable. <laughs> Uh, that's where the dwell orchestra comes from, right? <laughs> that's the, right. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, as like last time, the last Olympics, there were a lot of uh, positive cases of coronavirus. Mm. But uh, the Netherlands is doing their job to ensure uh, the these Olympics also become a, uh, a, a, a huge spreading event, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the Dutch uh, finished quite high up the infections table at the Summer Olympics in Japan, and uh, they got off to a promising start in Beijing. Although technically, this one doesn't count because Johan de Witt is the coach. Of the Japanese speed skating team so he, he's not with the Dutch team wait we have someone called Johan de Witt yes <laughs> well luckily for him because of the corona restrictions yeah. there is a uh, you have to uh, maintain one and a half meter distance yeah. so he can't be lynched uh, by a mob in the Hague uh, luckily for him on balance I think getting an Omicron infection is a lot better than being uh, chopped to pieces and having your nose sold on a, on a market <laughs> stall <laughs> but uh, yeah yeah Johan de Witt is the uh, prime minister that was eaten by a yes. mob in um, uh, in the Hague yeah. uh, somewhere in I believe 1672 yeah I think it was the ramp, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, but, but this Johan de Witt, um, who is uh, not with the <laughs> Dutch team, but he was on a plane with quite a few of the Dutch skaters flying to Beijing. Yeah. But the Dutch team were at pains to point out this week that he was in a different part of the plane. So, oh. well, luckily, the virus okay. isn't airborne or anything, so there's no no chance of him infecting <laughs> any of them. And they weren't in an enclosed, a very very small enclosed space yeah, or as anything. As long as they weren't yeah. in a nightclub, they'll probably be all right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and is there anything else happening besides speed skating? The answer is probably no. No, not really. No. Well, there are, no. there are Dutch teams in the bobsleigh. There's uh, also oh. uh, there's, there's one figure skater, Lindsay van Sundert. Uh, she's going to be carrying the flag at the opening ceremony with Kjeld Naus. And then there's uh, Kimberly Boss in the skeleton bob. She finished eighth in uh, Pyeongchang, so she'll be uh, hoping to do uh, better than that. And there is a chance of Dutch medals in snowboarding uh, from Nick van Velden and Melissa Paperkamp. Now, Papercom okay. is 17 years old and she ensured there'll be some lively discussions in the team hotel when she told the IA this week that her sport was way cooler than going round and round an ice track. <laughs> I have to I have to say that yes, she's right about that. But you know, her sport doesn't bring so many medals uh, back to the Netherlands. So yeah, yeah. if she manages to uh, to win as many medals as the speed skaters do, then uh, then I think uh, uh, I will uh, I will become a fan of her. 
some 170,000 people spotted over 2.4 million birds in their gardens at the weekend during this year's national bird count. The idea is simple, just sit at your window and count the birds you see in your garden for 30 minutes. Top of the list this year, as always, was the common sparrow with 19% of the birds counted, followed by the great tit with 13%. Bird Protection Agency uh, Vogelbescherming had asked people to be on the lookout for blackbirds in particular this year. In the Netherlands, their number has dwindled by as much as 30% in recent years. In 2018, the bird population was hit by the Yusutu virus, but that seems to have run its course. And the current bird flu epidemic doesn't affect songbirds, so it remains unclear what is causing the continuing decline of blackbirds. Are the birds still subject to restrictions uh, to keep one and a half meters apart and wear masks? <laughs> I think everyone in the country is, so yeah. we're blackbirds as well. Okay. Yeah. But the, the coronavirus pandemic also probably doesn't affect uh, birds, but uh, yeah, it might be. Yeah. We don't know. Um, a possible explanation might be the dry summers due to climate change because blackbirds eat worms and those can be found in moist soil. Luckily, however, the blackbird's number seems to be improving because the bird made its rentree in the top three this year again. Oh, good, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the uh, good good news about the blackbirds. Very good news, yeah. I, I get uh, blackbirds in my garden and uh, they have an incredible vocal range as well. I hadn't really appreciated it. Yeah, they do. I uh, actually sat outside the other the other week. So, yeah, good, good to see that their, their numbers are holding up. I suspect uh, something else that doesn't help is uh, there's a tendency of uh, Dutch people to, to, to just concrete over their gardens. Yeah, I was going to uh, comment that yeah it's it's a huge trend apparently to just pave your entire garden with uh, uh, yeah uh, with pavement yeah. and uh, yeah that's uh, very at least a few worms bad yeah. for birds for insects for everything but also um, for example the water you know when it rains the water needs to flow somewhere yeah. and uh, uh, grass holds it a little bit longer so yeah it, uh, pavements also um, cause a lot of problems uh, in that regard did you participate in the vocal telling I didn't know I've, I always managed mm-hmm. to miss it yeah usually 150,000 people uh, participate Last year, uh, they had 200,000 people because of the lockdown. Uh, of much more people were uh, interested in this. I saw a special kind of blackbird in my garden, okay. uh, and that was a partly albino uh, blackbird. Oh, wow. When I saw that, when I saw it, you know, uh, in the foliage, I, I thought, what kind of bird is this? Mm. I don't know what, I've never seen that. Turns out that this, you know, white spots on a blackbird is quite common. Right. Or at least it's not as uncommon as I thought. But I also saw that there are completely albino uh, blackbirds, and those are very, very rare. Right. But um, partly white blackbirds are much more common than I thought. Mm. That's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can also back us now on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. My thanks to Gordon Derek. I'm Paul Peters and we'll be back next week. (music) 